Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Lisa Campbell. Lisa is the CMO of OneTrust, a company that is truly on fire at scale. This company was one of the fastest SaaS businesses to hit 100 million in revenue. They've got over 12,000 customers. They were started just six years ago in Atlanta, where they're still home base, now over 2,500 employees. Now that sounds like a big seat to jump into for any CMO. But in the case of Lisa, she came from Autodesk, a company with much bigger scale that many of us know, a massive company where she was CMO as well. And she tells us about making that jump, going from a company of that scale to a company of this size that's growing quickly, but where infrastructure still has to be put into play. There's a great analogy she talks about in terms of paved and dirt roads today, in terms of understanding how to tackle what's not in place and how to embrace what needs to be in place. The rest of our conversation, we shift to talking about trust. This is an area that I'm always hot on anytime I talk about content, because the more we have in terms of data from our audience, the more we can serve them. But that requires trust to get that data, to be able to use that data, for people to be able to receive relevant content and know that it's coming from a good place. This is a great episode if you're interested in scale or you're interested in marketing with data. Tune in for my combo now with Lisa. Lisa, I am so excited to jump in and talk about everything you've accomplished in your career to date. I mean, I don't know where to start, though, because Autodesk, a wild ride of 20 years. But let's get to how do you leave something that you're committed to for that long with that much depth and relationships and influence and make that jump to a company? You know, not that it's anything shabby being one trust. Yeah, it's a big decision, right? And I, like many people, looked up during you know the pandemic, and I basically said to myself, do I want another operational experience? And I decided I did. I wanted another operational experience. The other reason why I did it, too, is um, I knew that I was going to want to serve on boards in the future, and I was already on the board of a public company, and I want to be on a board of a private company. And so getting an operational experience at a fast-growing private company that could potentially go into the public markets was definitely an operational experience I wanted, which is one of the reasons why I did choose to leave Autodesk. But as you said, you're 18 years with one company, and then you start to wonder, I have to get back into that mode of, I'm not knowledgeable about maybe the market, I'm not knowledgeable about the people, and you have to kind of start over again, which I think is a good thing to do because it keeps those muscles fresh and it keeps those skills fresh. That's a great point. And, and definitely had to be nerve wracking and congrats on you for making that leap and making one to a company that's on such a, a rise being one trust. I want to give everyone some scale of both of these companies because Autodesk alone, how big was it in terms of headcount or public numbers that are shared out there? Yeah. I mean, Autodesk, a fabulous company and I really enjoyed every single one of those 18 years that I had at the company. The company is about 
I think it was 13,000 employees while I was there. So really good size, you know, several billion in revenue, which was wonderful. I think when I left, the market cap was like a $75 billion market cap for the company. So a pretty sizable company with millions of customers. So a lot of the times I, I'll have a CMO on here who is at a big company of, of that size, but then says, okay, I'm going to go to a small company where I'm going to figure it out as we go. That's not what you've done here. You know, for people listening and not familiar with OneTrust, you know, OneTrust, you know, was one of the fastest companies to reach hundred million in ARR. There's, I believe over 2,500 employees today, and you've got over 12,000 customers. And this company just started when? Six years ago. Six years ago. Okay. So, so this isn't like, let's jump in and kind of like figure it out as we go. You've got to be ready to go. What was that like in terms of the due diligence you had to do to give yourself assurance you could be that leader? Right. One of the things that you have to do for your mindset when you go from big company, big companies have a lot of infrastructure. And you know that when you're going to go to a smaller company, there's not going to be a lot of infrastructure. So I mentally kind of had this mindset that said, Lisa, just assume there's not going to be much infrastructure in place. That way, whatever's there, you're pleasantly surprised. <laughs> and you just prepare yourself for, for knowing that I'm going into where I'm being a growth mindset, where I'm going to have to probably put foundation in place. I'm probably going to have to put processes in place. I'm going to probably have to help people with new skills or reskilling, as well as complementing those existing skills. So building up a team, as well as learning a new market space. So I really had to go in with that high curiosity level where you're saying, I want to learn, I'm going to be curious, I'm going to come up to speed as fast as possible. One of the interesting things, Randy, that we do at OneTrust is everybody who is a customer-facing employee has to get what we call two certifications in our trust domains. So I actually had to get two certifications, which I'm proud to say I got, which really one is called CIPPE, which is basically really getting a certification on GDPR. And the other one is CIPM, where it's a privacy management certification. And when you do that, you immediately become very knowledgeable about the market space because they are not easy certifications to get. You're studying like it's a final exam. And that really helped me immerse myself in this new space. Great that the company has that type of formal process. As you said, as much as you got to come in and know that it's going to be unstructured, that's important structure to have when you're onboarding not just customers, but employees at the rate you've had to, I imagine, over the last you know six years. I want to come back to the word that you use, which is surprises, because surprises can be great and they can also be terrible. Can you give us a real life example of each of those that have happened in your year or so tenure since you arrived at OneTrust? Yeah. So I've been at the company, I think it's about 15 months. So what's interesting is I had to learn, and this was good for me, is what areas are good to have less structure, right? So think of it as, somebody used a great analogy with me. They said, Lisa, think of it as a dirt road, not a paved road. So where is it okay to have the dirt roads and where do you need to have the paved roads? So as an example for paved roads, I was basically saying to everybody, look, for paved roads, we need to have paved roads when it comes to planning out what market segments we're going to go after, what personas are we going after, what are our key messages, what's our brand positioning statement, because as we all know, whatever your brand voice and your brand positioning is, it's the foundation for everything else. So that shouldn't be something that changes daily. On the other hand, where I needed to get more comfortable, where it was more of the surprise, right, the dirt road, was going out and saying, you know what, we're just going to 
go test this really quick with this kind of customer space. And we're going to see, does that resonate? And let's just get like a different piece of content or let's change what the messaging is going to be on in this trade show booth. And I had to get very comfortable with something that I was so used to having more rigor around. And that to me was like one of those dirt roads. And I was like, okay, I can get used to that. That's good. You know, it's more of a testing agile. If it doesn't work great, we'll just change it. That's interesting. And it kind of brings me to another part I'm curious about is, as we said, 18 years at Autodesk, you moved around in that organization without a doubt, but but you probably had a reputation that preceded you. And, and not that you wouldn't have one coming into this new opportunity, but in what ways did you feel you had to just change your leadership style for the stage of this company, for the type of marketers you'd be working with, the type of leadership team that was in place? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Because there's a lot of people in their careers where they're either asked to take a new role where they're an expert in their old role and now you're in a new role and you're not considered the expert anymore. I mean, I did that many times at Autodesk, right? I would take on a new industry and I was like, well, I used to be an expert in infrastructure. Now I have to be an expert in manufacturing. It's that kind of a mindset that you have to shift on. But I think it's things like that where I came into this role thinking uh, I'm learning now. I'm not the expert. So one of the first things that I did is you have to be more vulnerable and what I would say, have some humility. So I would go to the experts and I would say, teach me, teach me about this space. Just pretend I'm sitting in a classroom and help me get knowledgeable, demonstrate the products. I would have people walk me through the product, show me how to use the product. How does a customer use one of the products? How do we talk to a customer? Can I listen in? I would listen in on customer calls to understand what kind of questions do we get from customers? So it was very much a learning mindset. You know, when I was in my previous job, I felt like I was always the one bringing other people up to speed, you know, or training them. And then all of a sudden I found myself sitting on the other side of the table where I was the learner. I was the one that had to come up to speed. And it's kind of fun in a way because I just started to ask questions and there's no burden on you to have all the right answers. Instead, I just kept asking questions. And one of my favorite questions, Randy, was what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? which just opens up the door for people to say, oh, you know what? You should know this. You should know that. And I would get all of this extra information that I never would have gotten if I just stuck to a script of questions. That's a great question. And I've had people ask me that in job interviews. And even though it impresses me every time, it catches me off guard every time. It's, it's such a great way to keep a conversation flowing. I want to ask you one more question, and that that comes back to a point you you mentioned earlier, and it's around being a board member. I'm curious, your time management to, first of all, fit that in, what is the benefit that you get? Is this perspective for how you are a CMO today? And for everyone's understanding, you're a board member at Dropbox, a fantastic company. Or is this something that is gearing up your future career? You know, do you want to eventually become a board member after CMO life is kind of no longer engaging for you? Yeah, you know, it's it's really a bit of both. So one of the things that I really wanted to do is I always was on the side of the table, right, where I was presenting to a public board or I was interacting with our board members. And we have a fantastic board. You know, Autodesk had a great board. And one of the things that I really started to look at was, I could give. So it's kind of a give and take on a board. And I felt like I had more to give because I started finding that I had colleagues or people asking me, would you mind consulting with the CEO? Would you mind giving advice to this person? Would you mind talking to so-and-so about what they could be doing to build maybe a new business or accelerate a new business? And it really made me think, 
you know what, I should actually look for a board role where I can play more of this governance role and I also can help a CEO in their journey. And I'll have to tell you, it's a lot of fun. It's very fulfilling for me. First of all, I get to work with an amazing set of talent at the board. So not only am I on a great executive team myself, but I also get this extension of the board I sit on. So you get all these amazing, smart, talented people that you can continue to learn from, and they can learn from you. And you get to support the CEO and their, their team. You're not swimming in the operational lane, right? Because that's not your job as a board member. And for sure, I've always thought to myself, when I'm no longer you know, have a full operational role, I would like to have a portfolio of boards. So for sure, that other part of the equation was there as well. Yeah, it's a great balance in terms of value today and setting yourself up for opportunities down the line where you can, can, can where you can continue to give back in a meaningful way and always something new with every company, as we know. Lisa, we're going to take a break here. I want to talk more about how every company you've been with goes to market, specifically got some questions about OneTrust after this break on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I really enjoyed how Lisa broke down the idea of paved roads and dirt roads. I think as a CMO, many of us jump in and we feel like we have to control everything. And the reality is that's not possible. That doesn't matter if you're joining a marketing team of five or a team of 120 like she is today. There's only so much you can do. And if you try and overpave every road, you're not leaving opportunity for your leaders to jump in and make their own decisions to pave roads the way they think they should be. Now we can play around with this analogy all we want, but think through the strategies that are most important. Think through the ones that are gonna find you as a leader, but also the ones that are gonna allow you to define your leadership team. Embrace that, revisit that, and let it be the choice of your entire organization, which path is taken. Lisa, there are certain jobs that are always going to be high pressure. And I always say marketing to marketers is high pressure, but marketing a trust solution in a world where we're really doubting everything these days. What is that like? Yeah, I love the way that you phrase that too, because it is one of these things that everybody's talking about. I can tell you, even on the board that I'm at, we have a section on the agenda that's called trust, right? So everybody's talking about it, C-suite and board members. So one of the things that I always like to do, I don't care what company, what industry you're in, I think every single company in the world is dealing with this new thing about trust. And I, I like to think of it as, Randy, the last decade was all about digital transformation, and the next decade or so is going to be about the trust transformation. 
because every company is out there right now trying to say, how do I make sure that I am seen as a trusted brand, a company that you want to work for, that you want to partner with, and you want to do business with. So you have to appeal to customers, partners, employees, all these different stakeholders, and everybody is looking at your reputation, right? How do you handle my data? Can I trust you with my data? What is your reputation? What do you stand for? What is your purpose? Why do you exist? All of those things now, it's nothing's opaque anymore. It's all very transparent. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's and it's interesting what we will trust. As I always say, it's what do we get back for what we give? And if we get back something of value, we'll trust. I mean, my kids will talk to a Google or my wife who's very doubtful of these things. From a Spotify perspective, in return, she's getting valuable music, no question. But on the flip side, if she sees an ad for something she was talking about in the house, she's like, oh my God, they're listening to everything. I'm like, everything one's listening to everything. So how do you draw a line between what is acceptable for people to track today and setting those expectations? How does a company like yours help manage that line? Yeah. And by the way, I also love the way you worded, I will give you something in return for something of value and I'm the judge of value. So I really love the way you worded that. I tell my team that, but you're right. Now, some of this space, as you know, is regulated. So there's things that there's regulations about all over the world, either different countries have regulations, regions have regula regulations. And as we know, in the United States, we have different states coming up with their regulations. But I think overall, one of the big things that people need to worry about is what data are you collecting? What are you using it for? And do you have permission to use it for what you're trying to use it for? So it's really, what do I have? How am I governing it? and how am I using it? And we have to be really transparent about that. The other beauty of being able to do this is it's very, very simple to track people's consent and preferences. It's not a hard thing to do this today. There's technology, you can implement this technology, we have this technology, it exists. And if you start to respect that and you respect if somebody says, I'm gonna give you this information, I'm gonna tell you how you can use this information in return, you need to give me value then I think the equation works really well. It's when you break trust. It's funny, I have this expression I use that every interaction creates a brand impression. And you have one of two categories your impression falls into. You either build trust or you break trust. There's no in between. And so that you have to look at every interaction in that way. And so I think that's the mindset people need to have is if somebody is trusting me and giving me their data and giving me additional information, what am I giving them back in turn for value? And am I respecting their consent and their preferences in using that data? So it's interesting. I, I did a, a presentation recently and the idea of trust was a subset of the presentation, not at the level that you're probably uh, versed on this topic, but there were some numbers that really blew me away. You know, one was, you know, since iOS 14.5, I think when they introduced some new requirements for opt-in, those, those opt-in levels were really low out of the gate, like in the 20% range. But then I looked to see, well, what does that transfer to to a website? Because we're asked that same, like, can I track your cookies, et cetera. And I couldn't believe, again, only about a third of people were opting in, according to a Deloitte study that I had read. Do you see that trending up? And what are, maybe more specifically, what are some of the things that a brand can do to get you to opt-in? Because we need to 
set an expectation that you can trust us and that we will give you value. Yeah, and I think you hit on a really good point. There's three major trends in the marketplace, I think, that are impacting every company in this trust domain. Number one is the change in the regulatory environment. It's constantly changing and you have to keep track of it. Number two is technology is constantly changing and you alluded a little bit to that. And then the third one is consumer expectations. And with consumer expectations, consumers are getting smarter and smarter and it's getting easier and easier with technology to actually be able to opt in. Like you just said, I can opt in. I could say, do not sell. I can give you consent or not. And I make that very transparent on my website. And so what happens is sometimes the opt-ins go down. One of the things though that I have found that we use and other companies use to try to improve that is basically understanding how to be helpful. I always tell my team, there's not just some secret recipe out there. It's, and you know, I know this is one of your favorite topics, but content, right? I always say there's a tsunami of content out there. And how do you just sort yourself out so that your content is going to resonate? And I'm always like, be helpful. Just be helpful with your content. And if you can be helpful and you can add value, you can help somebody solve a problem that they're trying to solve, they're probably going to opt in for more information because they're going to say, this is great. You just gave me information that I needed to solve a problem or to inform a decision that I needed to make. So I'm going to give you the ability to interact with me because you're going to probably give me more value. I think of it as a flywheel. So you start to get that flywheel going. And what happens is I start to give you more and more of my information. You start giving me more and more value. I trust builds with you because you're using my information in a way that gives me value and you just keep it going. And one of the things I will say, Randy, is I think it's also a competitive advantage because trust is not easily copied. Trust is earned. So once you get that flywheel going and you earn this trust, it's hard for somebody to step in and try to replicate that. That's so well put. I, you know, the obvious analogy that always comes to mind with, for me, when you talk about content, you talk about trust is any streaming service, whether your favorite is Netflix or Disney or any of the others that we have to choose from today, they've got me in that flywheel themselves. I log in and I've got content recommended to me. And in turn, I don't even think about what data they're tracking. And that's what I believe we all have to try and emulate, try and mimic in our marketing. So I'm curious with that mindset, and maybe you can talk about how you've done this either at Autodesk or at OneTrust, what's a very simple way to get relevant content in front of people at that very early stage, you know, just at that point where they're going to consent to your cookies, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great point. So there's, there's two that I can think of. One is that I have done is a branded hub. So you can have a branded hub where you're just putting out great thought leadership content or timely relevant content about what's happening right now in the industry. And I find that that really helps where people start to read this, they start to subscribe to it. They'll even say, this is what I wanna be notified on. And that starts to build this relationship where they're like, I wanna subscribe to your thought leadership, this branded kind of content that's out there. And that opens me up then maybe for things further down the funnel where it actually could be demand generation or lead generation. The other piece where I've we've done pretty well at that is with account-based marketing. You know, an account-based marketing, in my opinion, works the best when you're trying to expand a relationship. It's very expensive to use sometimes as a land, but maybe better for expanding within an account because I have an initial relationship. 
I get smarter and smarter about you. And then I try to do account-based marketing where I learn about your company. I learn about maybe some of the big issues you have. And then I try to tailor content to those specific issues. And then I'm going to interact more with you and I'll expect more from you because I always kind of share with my team. I show them all the emails that I delete, which is what I call failed ABM. So these are all the ones that I just hit delete on. These are the ones that I put in my saved file. And it's the ones that are relevant, helpful, that did their homework that I'll save. And it's the one where I know it's a generic cut and paste, change the name at the top of the form uh, that go into my delete box. Great tactics, great tips. We're gonna get some more from you. We're gonna take another break though here. Talk a little bit more about content with some questions I've got coming in our rapid fire. Right back with Lisa. Lisa is ultimately telling you the importance of building trust with your audience. And these days we have to do that right out of the gate. I want you all to think about the experience anytime you open an app for the very first time. It could even be the type of Spotify app you may be listening to this podcast on. We're asked a series of questions all around trust. Can we send you notifications? Can we track what you're doing? And very quickly, our thumb goes left or right determining without much thought, is this company gonna give me value back in terms of what I provide? Now that's the same debate that we have when we go to a website. When we're greeted with that question, will you allow us to track your behavior? Yes or no? We make these millisecond decisions with our mouse or our finger, however we may be navigating. And that is what we need to be mindful of. As Lisa said, it's a circle. It's a circle of building trust where we give relevant data. And the more we give, the more contextual and more relevant the content we deliver is expected to be. Keep that in mind. Determine whether you're making an impression that shows that you're leveraging what they've shared with you and that you're leveraging in things in ways that are not creepy, but are relevant and value add to the way they build a relationship with your organization. Lisa, it's been really fun unpacking your journey, and it sounds like it's been very purposeful. As you said, you didn't want to have a linear path. You wanted to truly understand what it meant to be a marketer. So when you think of that next CMO, you know, someone who's maybe 10, 20 years behind where you are today, what do you think has got to be their prioritization to get to the CMO level? Is it going really deep in area? Is it going really broad? That's a great question, and I'm mentoring a number of people right now on that. So here's what I would say. The path I took was definitely nonlinear, meaning that I kind of bopped around. Yes, I did and went deep into marketing functions, but I also did um, a time in services. I also ran a development team for a little while. I did an inside sales team. So what I would recommend to people is don't just have a linear path. Try to get some experience that's outside of marketing because when you do something outside of marketing, it gives you a greater appreciation and you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes and it can make you a better marketer. That's a great answer. So many people tell us to go broad with marketing but not necessarily get outside of marketing. And I, and I think you're so right. I mean, you become more of that operator that you've spoken about so many times today where you have to realize it's not just marketing. You are an officer of the business as a whole. Yeah, and it gives you exposure to all the different touch points, right? Because there's so many different touch points in the journey. And now you've kind of walked to shoes in, in those shoes. Absolutely. The ability to understand and be relevant to those other groups is, is only enhanced that way. 
My next question for you is an area we dabbled in already, which is content. And, and I'm curious what type of content gets you to lean in these days? What gets you to click when it's in your inbox or it's served up on some sort of page you've been to? Yeah, it's a great question. So I don't respond well to the buy now, you know, and blinking red lights that are that are all over everything. The kind of content that I respond to is the ones that are really talking about a business problem. And they're sharing with me, this is kind of what I've seen. Here's different approaches to solve that business. That really grabs my attention because it feels fact-based with also some experience embedded in there. And it's something that is truly helpful as opposed to pushing me to say, you know, I have the aspirin, you have a headache kind of situation without really truly understanding what I'm trying to do. That's such a such a valid point. And you used that language earlier when we were chatting about being helpful. Uh, and, and I think with content, that's what we no question have to do. You also talked about this mindset that the more I provide, the more value comes back. That to me reminds me of the idea of personalization. What does it mean to you to have something personalized? Like where does that begin? But really, what is, what is the gold standard? It's interesting because my mind has shifted since I took this job at OneTrust because of the business that we're in, right? We have to be so careful because of privacy and GRC and ethics. So for me, when I think about a personalized journey is, do you understand my business? Do you understand the space that I'm in? Do you understand the challenges that a CMO faces? Are you up to date on the current trends? And if you can have information that's tailored that way, that I think is something that is really good. You know, prior to coming to One Trust, I would have said, oh, well, you know, and you can understand what are people doing on the web? What's their intent? What data are they clicking on? What are they reading? And now I have a greater appreciation that I need to have permission. I need to know that it's okay for me to look at that information to give you a better, uh, more personalized experience. So I think it varies and it varies based on what you're willing to trust a company with. I could be very personalized with you, Randy, if you say, yes, Lisa, you know what? I'm going to give you all this information. I'm going to let you know all of these things about me so that you can serve up something more personalized. But if you don't give me any of that permission, it's going to be a little more generic. So well put. Uh, everything you've shared today has been so dead on. I, I'm going to hit you with one last question here. This is always the toughest because you've nailed all the marketing questions. My biggest challenge I hear from marketers is finding balance. And you know, being the CMO of an organization that's the scale and size, again, it, it one trust today, 12,000 customers, 120 marketers. You've got to have an inbox that's full and people pinging you. How do you take the breaks you need for yourself? Yeah. So I will tell you, and this is something I tell everybody, the number one thing for me, and I have learned this over my career, so it was a hard one learning, is your team is everything. So I spend a lot of time hiring my team because if you have a, an amazing leadership team, you can delegate and you know, and you can have confidence that if you need to take some personal time, they've got it covered. So one is building a great team. The other one that I think of too is boundaries. I like to set boundaries and I get family buy-in. So I like to sit down with my husband and my family to say, these are the things that I'm going to need to do and invest in. Here's how much I'm going to need to travel or the place where I need maximum flexibility to do a good job. But I need to know that that's okay with you because the last thing you want is unhappiness with your family, right? You don't want unhappiness at work either. So you try to set these boundaries and I like to set expectations up front. You're not going to have it perfect, but it's better than everything being a surprise, right? You don't want it always to always be a surprise to your family. You don't want it to be a surprise at work. 
And, you know, having a CEO, I would say the CEO of One Trust is great. He is one of those people that says, look, number one priority is you and your health. The second priority is your family. And your third priority is your work and your job. And he lives that. And I think that also gives us great flexibility just working for this company. Well, Lisa, this this topic today ended up being all about trust. And I think that last answer is is just that. It's it's about trusting all around. All parties have to be on board to know the expectations, to know what you're buying into. And when you have that, you can dive in, you know, the way you want to. You can provide content the way you want to, or you can balance your life the way you want to. So a really beautiful way to tie it all up. I can't thank you enough for everything that you've brought to this podcast. If you've tuned in for the first time to this episode with Lisa, check out all the other great guests that we've been able to have. Every CMO's journey is a little bit different. Yours, no question, will take its own path. And one day, hopefully, you'll be on this podcast to share. Until next time, this is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 